Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everything in between, welcome back to the Kevin Clifton Show and to the first episode of 2021, where there is a renewed hope and energy and a rebirth, hopefully. Now, I will say we're recording this episode <laughs> a few minutes after Boris Johnson has just put us back into lockdown. But I like to think, well, I hope that we all think that this was probably expected and that it's not a new thing to everyone. It's not a big shock that, that we're in this situation. But I do feel optimistic that maybe towards spring, something like that, obviously don't listen to me, I'm not a scientist, but I feel like with the vaccine happening, with us going into a lockdown, maybe this is the final push and that actually spring will be the actual rebirth. It will be quite symbolic and it will be a happy time and an optimistic time. And I was also thinking, just recently, there's going to be a point in 2021 where it's going to feel like we're getting back to normal and it's going to feel like we're allowed to hang out with friends again and we're allowed to go to the theatre again and we're allowed to go to the pub again or a restaurant, we're allowed to travel and see family. At some point in 2021, surely that has to happen and that moment is going to feel bigger than Christmas. It's going to feel, feel bigger than than any celebrations that we've tried to have over, over the last year. And it's gonna be a really joyous occasion. So I'm thinking, if anyone's interested in my opinion on any of this, is that yes, it's crap. We've got to hang on for a bit longer, but there is gonna come a point where this all gets better and it's gonna feel all the more beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, <laughs> speaking of beautiful um the first guest that i've got lined up for 2021 i'm very very excited about because she was actually i saw her play uh, the lead in the west end musical beautiful um she's also an olivier award winner for and juliet which you'll have seen performed on strictly come dancing for you strictly fans out there um, she was in the original London cast of Wicked. She was in chess with the likes of Michael Ball, Alexandra Burke. She was part of Leading Ladies with Beverly Knight and Amber Riley. Um, she's pretty much done everything. Um, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. It is none other than Cassidy Jensen. How are you, Cassidy? Oh, well, you know, my new favorite thing of saying is uh, all things relative, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great way to sort of... Uh, introduce, like, how are you? Because obviously terrible, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. obviously terrible, but actually all things being relative, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Because obviously you can't come in as well with, yeah, I'm great, because then everyone hates you because everyone's had such a crap 12 months. But like, but yeah, I, I, I totally get it. And um, first of all, we'll, we'll talk about Anne Juliet because um, obviously we, we um, I, I saw you when we recorded, um, we all need a little Christmas um, in Covent Garden uh, where we all sort of, we all had to separate a little bit and do our, do our songs separately. I was singing Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. You were singing Santa Baby? I think so. Yeah, was it Santa Baby? Santa Baby yeah, one of them. I can't even, I did two concerts in yes. like the same space of time in the same place. Mm. And, I, and I couldn't, and because you're not hanging around with different people, you sort of go in, do your bit and leave. I can't remember. I think it was Santa Baby. Yeah, it was. It was. Sorry. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. it might have been let it snow, but that was another gig I did. Right. In the right, same place. Right. Just very yeah. interesting for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I think 
it was that weekend, I think, was Musicals Week of Strictly Come Dancing. It was. Yeah. I think I just the day before. On which Two days before. you performed, um, playing your starring role in the musical and Juliet. So you're all very excited. Going, oh, yeah, I'm actually on Strictly, I'm on Strictly this weekend. Um, and yeah, so for you Strictly fans, you'd have seen Cassidy um, performing... Um, well, why, why don't you tell us about Anne Juliet, about, about the show, what it is for anyone who doesn't know, obviously it's a massively famous show, but um, you tell us all about it and the role okay. that you play in it. Okay then, um, so the premise of Anne Juliet, it's, it's um, obviously, obviously it leads into the fact that it's, it's sort of Romeo and Juliet, but what, um, so I play Anne Hathaway, which is William Shakespeare's wife, she was actually called Anne Hathaway. And um, I turn up to the last rehearsal of Romeo and Juliet before it's about to be performed. And Shakespeare tells me in the cast the ending. And um, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, whatever you, you want. Okay, fine. Because I say, darling, the ending, shit. Um, uh, <laughs> so I, I managed to persuade Shakespeare to um, let me rewrite the ending of Anne Juliet with him. So we pass the call backwards and forwards and I say, backwards and forwards and I say um what would happen if Juliet woke up found Romeo dead and didn't kill herself and she and I write this you know, we write it together really this sort of great tale of, of a bit of a romp where Juliet gets up to all sorts of mischief and then I write myself into the show as Juliet's new best friend and it all gets very very silly I'm a bit of a mum on a night out and um, and there's loads of there's you know there's a I don't want to sort of spoil any of the, there's some surprise roles but there's like an old rekindled romance comes up there's a there's a transgender character there's a bisexual relationship comes up um, there's all there's a sort of every man and every woman relationship there's all sorts of um, different um, so that's Anne Julia it's very funny it's also I have to mention the music of Max Martin who if you know who he is you'll be like oh my goodness that's amazing but you probably don't know who he is however he's the third biggest songwriter of all time only behind Lennon and McCartney I think he may have overtaken them now in, in number uh, in like top 10 or number one hits um, he's written everything he think his first big hit was Ace of Bass um, oh there she wants is another baby um, he's written everything, Hit Me Baby One More Time for Britney Spears, uh, the Backstreet Boys stuff, he's written for Celine Dion, for Pink, for uh, just Katy Perry, he wrote uh, Raw for Katy Perry, Ariana Grande. The guy is is an absolute monster pop song writer and the loveliest Swedish man ever, like just the loveliest man, just so normal. Um, very, very generous, very kind man. And... Um, all of his songs have been reorchestrated. I call my my take on it is it's like a dramatic pop feel. So you'll know the songs, but they'll sound completely different. Mm. Um, they do an amazing dramatic ballad of "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time," which actually ends up being Juliet's uh, morning song uh, when she finds Romeo dead. And you'd never think it would work, but it works brilliantly. It's so clever. Yeah, that's my long, that's my long spiel. I can talk. Yeah. I'm a real chatterbox. Perfect. Because um, I am yet to see it. Um, but um, so my sort of dance mentor, Jason Gilkerson, who's now the he's the creative director on uh, Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, look at your cat. <laughs> um, uh, he's the creative director on Strictly Come Dancing. He we talk about theatre a lot. I'm sort of swap notes on things we've seen and, and whatever. And I remember him coming in to Strictly. Um, on my last year on it and, and 
sort of the end of 2019 and, and went and went, have you seen Anne Juliet yet? And I, and I went, no, I haven't. A little, like it's on my list. I want to see it when I, when I can. And he was going, he was raving about it. He was going on and on about it. He, he was like, when I heard about the concept, I sort of, I wasn't sure whether it was a good idea or not. It sort of sounded like it could either be like an amazing it, night out yeah. or it could be naff. And it, then- I know, he, right? <laughs> yeah, and then, but he came in and he went, but it's totally an amazing night out. Like, and I just enjoyed it so much. Like for, kind of like what you just said, he said it, it almost shouldn't work, but it really does work. It really, um, really works. Yeah. And what, um, the director reminded us of um, Shakespeare in his day was popular culture. He was the Max Martin of his day. That's like he was classical. He was for every man and woman. Like everyone went to see Shakespeare's new play. He was for the masses. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I guess we kind of think of Shakespeare nowadays as sort of this high art, uh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm performing in a Shakespeare, you know, like yeah. it's, a, it's a very high art. Must be very intelligent, have a huge IQ and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And actually he, he was he was for everybody. He yeah. was the everyman writer. So um, so we sort of remind people of that, like that, that you think it's a snob, snob sort of subject with pop culture, but actually they do... They do blend very, very well. Mm. And as your friend said, um, it does make for a great night out. And we got fantastic reviews. Obviously, we were terrified because it's a completely brand new show. It's not a Broadway transfer. And um, there's something incredibly thrilling about being part of a brand new show written from the ground up. And you, you have no idea if it's going to work. And I remember the very, very first preview we did in Manchester. And we knew it was funny, but we didn't know. We didn't know how the you never know what it is until the audience arrive. And it was the most, I think all of us agreed, it was the most incredible experience of the audience didn't know what the show was, we didn't know what the show was. And as the show went on, we found, we all found the show together as, as sort of one massive group of people. Mm. And it was, it was like a spiritual experience. You're like, oh my God, the show's that funny. The audience were dying with laughter. And we all went home that night sort of in a, in a state of, delicious shock it was so wonderful and, and I'm I think everyone in that show will always have that really special connection of that first preview mm. you know wow this is a it's not just a good show this is a great show that was very exciting how long were you in previews for we did an out-of-town try at Manchester for we were there for a good two two or three months and then we came to London and I think we did I think maybe it was two weeks previews in London. I have a terrible memory for things like that. Because um, when you're, when also you must know when you're doing like long old dance, like long old days dancing, you sort of forget it just becomes one long day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Just in every day, you're tired, you're doing the same routine every day. And it's sort of, yeah. it's hard to sort of remember if it was Tuesday or Friday that you were. Put you onto a different routine and you've forgotten those routines you were doing all day last week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And so then it ran. You were running uh, in, in the West End, obviously, until... Lockdown. Everything kicked off. Um, and we were nominated for nine Olivier Awards. Nine Olivier Awards. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, and we won three. We won three. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations for that. So you won the Olivier Awards um, for... Was it Best Supporting 
actress. Best well, supporting actress in a musical, which I'm, I'm so thrilled with because I, I really didn't think I'd win because um, much as my role sort of has a lovely emotional arc, it's mainly a comedy role. Right. So I, I feel doubly honoured to win um, for a comedy role because it doesn't often happen. So Ooh. that was, oh, it was just amazing. I, I love I, I love my industry so much. I just think it's, uh, I think the arts is just, brilliant and um you know we've sort of been helping everyone get through uh mm. lockdowns by entertaining them and the netflix things we might have done and and you know i think we're, we're an important part of the being a human being of the artists you know well, and, i think so the way yeah I, I like you say during lockdown everyone has turned to the arts in one form or another um you know whether it's netflix or or you know, books and movies and, and or online streaming things, you know, concerts that people have been doing or, or online streaming theatre, like everyone turns to it for entertainment, like especially in, in these times. But I, I also, I, I could talk for hours about this, so I'll, I'll, I'll try and be short, but like, I, I also think that like just stories in particular and therefore you know sort of films and, and plays and musicals and, and tv series um and any stories that we get in, involved in we it sort of forces us always to put ourselves in the shoes of the protagonist all the time even if it's subconscious we're watching yeah. something and and subconsciously if we're getting emotionally involved in something we're asking ourselves what how would i react in that situation uh, you know what what so we're sort of questioning all the time what sort of a person am i if that was me would i have been brave enough to do that if if i if that was me would i have said that or how would i have treated that person or whatever so so i think sometimes obviously there's been a lot of noise over this last year about theater because you know we've needed a lot more support and then people that fire back and go oh it's not it's not important there's far more important things and there's that whole debate but i I think it's a lot. Or I don't know about you, I've just had, or, or I have the opposite, which is everyone's like, oh, you'll be fine. Hmm. And you're like, um, it's different from being out of work for a little while because you've been unlucky or you've not been right for anything to have your entire industry disappear. And, um, and they're like, oh, when it reopens, you'll be inundated. And it's like, yes, but what do I do today? Yeah, exactly. What do I do next week? Mm. You know, and um, it's really hard after, you know, nearly a year. To, to not feel a little bit persecuted by this government. It's really, really hard not to take yeah. a person. Like, do yeah. you really hate, like, hate the arts that much? Yeah. That feels and, like. And then you hear the rumours of things that have been said in government about, you know, how low down on the list that we actually are. And it really, it really <sighs> pisses me off. Like, it really well, does. And also because we're not a nice little sector, we bring economic value. We bring a cultural value. You could always argue the cultural value, which we absolutely do. People come mm. to the UK to see, you know, Big Ben and to see a show. Mm. They don't come here, you know, to, to have a chat with Boris Johnson. They come here to watch musicals and go, you know, go and see the arts. That's why they yeah. come to. And then, so you could argue that aside that's important for tourism, but it's not just tourism. We bring so much money to the economy yeah. like a lot I think it's something like it's at least equivalent if not double what football brings to this country so yeah. it makes it keeps you scratching your head as to then if we do bring this much to the economy and we're going to go into a recession why are you not investing in something that will help the economy bounce back yeah exactly I yeah anyway gosh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, 
The arts are very important, but I actually think they're way more important than they're ever given credit for. I agree. Hmm. I concur. Yes. And um, so how did it play out for you when COVID sort of hit back in what, March or whatever? I remember I was in rehearsals for a show. Um, what show were you in rehearsals for? Uh, it was for Burn the Floor, a dance company. Right. Um, so I was in rehearsals for that. We were um, sort of, we had about another week of rehearsals to do. Then we were going to go on tour. Um, how did the whole thing play out for you? Because I think at first we all started hearing things and it was like, oh, it'll be a bit like bird flu and then it'll go away. And then, yeah, yeah. When, when did you first sort of hit? Were you at the theatre? Were you at home and got told don't come in? Or like, how did it all play out? We were... Well, I mean, the simple thing is we found out we were about to do the show that night. We were doing warm up on the stage. I, uh, we were doing warm up and uh, we, we thought we were going to do the show that night. And then um, our company manager came on stage and just said, um, we've been advised by the Society of London Theatres to close shows tonight. Um, but what, sort of the longer version, the longest answer to that is um, the week before, lots and lots of shows were going down. They were losing their cast. We lost so many members of our cast to this flu. Right. I mean, they probably all had COVID. It, it, I doubt it was just regular flu. Mm -hmm. And we were doing concert versions of the show. We, we, we cancelled the show on the Thursday night before lockdown. And uh, we did concert versions of the show, I think, Wednesday, Friday and Saturday. And they were amazing. I mean, they were amazing. Mm. Um, uh, they went down really well with the audiences because we were, we were really struggling to sort of have enough people to, to keep the show going. But we did. And then I think it was going to be... Our first show, our first full show back was the Monday and then it got cancelled. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then how, like, how have you, uh, how have you coped with, with 2020? How, how, have what have you been doing and what, how have you been going about your, your life without performing? Oh gosh. It's so hard. I think, you know, you know, um, you know, I, I consider you, you know, a, a very high end talent and, and I feel like you are someone that, it's you you live your art it's your life you know you're an amazing dancer you know I've watched you for years on Strictly and I, I hugely admire you and and um and I you know I I live for my my art in whatever capacity it's sort of I don't really feel complete if I'm not doing something along those lines and when it's taken away and then you feel it's being um not just neglected but sort of destroyed almost systemically and there's no really good, and you're never really given a good reason as to why, you know. Um, it's really painful, um, and people that aren't in, in this profession don't really understand it. Some people really are, like, I think theatre fans are really tracking with how bad it is. Mm. Um, but I was just speaking to a, a sort of acquaintance tonight, and he's just like, oh, you'll, you'll be fine back, you'll be fine back in May, you'll be thriving. And I'm like, but it's it's a passion it's it's part mm. of who you are it's part of what makes you tick and, and having another five months and still still we don't really know if if for certain it's not like okay may you're open it's like don't know don't know um anyway that's that's a very long answer to um most of lockdown what i did was um i did a three-month detox right at the beginning of lockdown i thought you know what i'm never get to do things like this because it's really hard to sort of um not survive on coffee when you're in eight shows a week <laughs> yeah. and um, so I went right I'm gonna do I'm gonna do massive detox and I, I loved doing it I felt amazing on it it was really deep um I I, I felt brilliant um I what else did I do I was very fortunate 
that I started to do some gigs here and there. I did a two-week workshop of a new musical um, and I played the title role of a, of a new show, which was really gorgeous. And I wish I could talk about it, but I had to sign a, a confidentiality agreement. Okay. But the composer is one of like the biggest monster composers of all time. And um, getting to sing, like getting to, I remember like getting sent the email with, with the tracks to listen to. And I was like, it was him singing. And I was like, oh my God, I'm hearing a blah, blah, blah demo. You know, yeah. it was nuts. Um, that was thrilling. And it was really nice to be um, worried about a score and worried about the dots and worried about the script and worried about that as opposed to worried about, you know, virus. So yeah. it was nice to have a change of, of concern. Mm. And um, I got given a residency at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, which I was incredibly honoured to be given. Um, so it's the first time they ventured into having musicals at, at Ronnie Scott's, which is a famous jazz venue. Mm. Um, so uh it's called all that jazz it's a saturday brunch uh, i think doors open at 11 and it's 12 to 2 and you get two you get two dishes and you get me hosting and a west end person singing for you and it's super fun i had lee mead as my first guest and he was amazing god he's so brilliant i forget all the time because he's such a do you know lee no i don't really know him actually no I met him once, but I, I don't know him. He's so lovely and he's so laid back. And then when he gets, he's one of those people, when he gets on stage, we're just like, bloody hell, he's so good. He's so good with the crowd. His voice is sublime. He's got this great stage presence and it's just so natural. And he chats to the audience. He's brilliant. And it was just such a, you know, we sold out that first, that first week. And the next week I had Alice Fern. Uh, she played Alphabet and Wicked for a couple of years. And she was um, Beverly bat in come from away recently and she's just got that she sounds like celine dion her voice is ridiculous and um and then then suddenly we got locked down but you know it was great yeah. to have that residency um yeah that, that's sort of like huh in december you had alice yeah yeah because i think I, I was looking at it and thinking maybe i can maybe i can go along and then oh. something happened and i couldn't go but, oh boo yeah well Anyway, it was, she was amazing, amazing. Just her, her vocal tech, cause she's a teacher as well. Her vocal technique is astonishing. I was such, such a masterclass watching her and she's so funny as well. And she yeah. plays piano. So I met, I met Alice when, um, do you know John Robbins? Yes, I do. So John Robbins is a really good friend of mine. Is uh, he? Yeah, he sang in, I met him when he was like, he sang in one of my tours. Oh, was it in Dirty Dancing or? No, in like my, my own tour, like going okay. off, you know, sort of off the back of Strictly type, type thing. And he was the, um, we, we brought him on board as a singer. And um, yeah, so I met him and this is sidetrack, but like, like long story short, he was giving me, um, I was having singing lessons with him um, to prepare for my audition for Rock of Ages. Um, so yeah, he was like giving me singing lessons like before the show and stuff. And he was doing a few concerts it was ages ago and it feels like last year I can't remember when it was but it, it's probably last year I don't know um he was doing a few concerts here and there up, up and down the country and he did one in London and he had sort of guests on and he asked if I would sing at his concert and I was like yeah, great I'd love to you know go and go but obviously the thing is the thing is with me is like everyone sees me as a dancer not a lot of people yeah. not everyone knows about the sort of musical theatre stuff so um 
I went there and I, I had a slight sort of like the cast of Hamilton were there and, and people. And I was like, okay, okay, just everybody be calm. They're going to see, you're going to walk on stage and they're going to be like, what's he doing here? He's a dancer. He's not a singer, but just do your thing. It'll all be all right. And, and I was sort of preparing myself for this night. And then I was on after Alice Fern. And I was like, I was you like, know what I'm talking about, right? I was like, John, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. right. Just a voice of death. Like she can just sing anything. It's, it's she's just so solid. And um, yeah, I'm sorry about that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you sing? I sang um, Dead or Alive from Rock of Ages, the Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'd sort of just come off the back of Rock of Ages. So it was, it was like, oh, sing Dead or Alive in the show. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, thanks. After Alice Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, at least you managed to, at least you had things and, and you managed to stay busy. Because I think that's a really important point that you said um, that probably, probably hasn't been said enough that like, it's not, it's not just like losing your job. It's, that there's, there's a part of us as performers, isn't there, that it's like, it's a real part of us and part of yeah. our identity. And, and you sort of feel weird with, without it. Yeah, and, and it's very difficult. And um, yeah, it's, and it's very hard to sort of keep peppy, isn't it? Like, hmm. I, I, I suppose it's a little bit easier for singers because I suppose I can just warble in my living room, but like, do you, ha you have to find a big enough space that you can keep your dancing going, right? Yeah, basic, basically, um, and well, well, for anything, like I, I'm, I'm going sort of more and more into theatre. This year, I was in 2020, I was supposed to open with Strictly Ballroom, the musical. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that had to be called off and burn the floor, all sort of delayed into 2021. Um, but I, was, I sort of thought, well, we're in lockdown, because I, I did the opposite of you. You were very healthy and went, right, I'm going to detox and I'm going to, everything's going to be great. You know, I'm going to feel brilliant. <laughs> I went the other way and I went, I deserve a rest. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat biscuits and, <laughs> and drinking coffee and it's all going to be fine. I'll get back, get myself back in shape later. Um, so <laughs> I did the- I think so many people did that. They call it the COVID kilos, don't they? There you go, the COVID kilos. Um, but I, I did have a, a, a definite thought during 2020 of, God, it, it doesn't matter, like, you know how people think, oh, if I was a billionaire, I'd quit my job tomorrow and go and live on a beach. Yeah. And I just think if I was a billionaire, there's still no way I could quit performing. And like, it's right. the same for you, right? It, it's, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's just that. I'd be lovely for a billion, don't get me wrong, but I know that I'd still be doing, th it's funny, isn't it? When I, it's funny, I had an interview um, for something else a couple of days ago and, um, uh, he said, did you ever consider quitting? And I, I did, I had some injury because I, I, I did train as a dancer and had some injuries when I was a young, when I was younger and I was really struggling. And um, I, I gave myself the option and I was sort of in a, I was in a bad marriage and all sorts of things. And I, and I sort of gave myself the option. I was like, it's so hard. Why, why don't you just give up? You don't have to do this. You could go and get a regular job and regular money and you don't have to be putting yourself through this. And I said, so I gave myself the option for the first time in my life. And not even for a second, I literally went, well, I can't do that. <laughs> it was like, well, I can't, I can't get a normal job because what's the point of being alive if I have a normal job? Like it was like, it was like that silly. It was, it was so weird. It was like silly and profound at the same time. I was like, 
oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing this. Even if I did fringe musicals for the rest of my life and earned like no money, I'd, I'd find a way to just keep doing it because I, I would be miserable. Yeah. I would be miserable. And I'd be like, the whole time I'd be the annoying person in, in the bank or whatever, like filing stuff, singing. And they'd be like, oh, bloody hell, she never like, <laughs> you know, like, because when I used to wait tables, they, um, they, they used to, I just used to sing all the time and they'd be like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about that then. So let's, let's go right back to like the, the start of your whole career. Like, so I want, I want to know, did, when, when did it happen for you? When did it become a thing where it was like, I can't live without this. This is what I want to do with my life. Well, how did it all start? And, and was it about, I want to dance or I want to sing or I want to act, I want to do all of it or I want to be famous. I want to be in films, I want to be in musical. What, like, how did it all start for you and where did it go? Well, I mean, probably, probably like, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you started dancing at a very young age. I apparently posted my mum for ballet lessons when I was two and a half. Right. And apparently like the teacher when she's too young but we'll give her a little trial class. And apparently I picked everything up really well. I have a vague memory of just finding everything very easy. Um, so I was allowed to continue. And then I think I flitted. I was very sort of skittish and I sort of did ballet, then gymnastics and tap and then jazz and sort of flitted around. Mm-hmm. And then I think, and I was always like making up dance routines with the next door neighbor in the garden and entertaining the families, you know, like that's what I love doing. I'll give a little shout out to Vicky Copeland. She'll love that. Vicky Copeland. Uh, she and I dancing in, the, in our gardens. And, um, and then I saw cats when I was about 10 or 11. And I think during the Jellicle Ball, there was a cat just stuck its head against me and it just sort of sang in my face. And I was like, oh my God, I want to do this for a living. This is amazing. And I think when I realized I could sing, dance and do everything in, in, in a wanna, cause I think I used to want to be a pop singer, which right. I probably still do actually, to be fair. I did the Leading <laughs> Ladies album and sang on Strictly. And you dance, you dance. Oh my God, I'm just having such a fangirl moment. You and Karen danced on my verse when I was singing. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so that was like, I literally, I think when I did that, it was like all my Christmases happened at once. I was like, oh my God, I'm on Strictly. And Kevin and Karen are dancing in my verse. I was like, I don't think my life could get better. And also I'm a huge Anton de Beck fan. So I was just like, I got to be. And I was like, that's it. My life is over. It's too good now. Um, anyway, I digress. So um, I'd be a pop singer when I was younger. Then I found about musicals that kind of took precedence. And then I got encouraged to sort of go into professional performing arts school. So I went to um, London Studio Centre mm-hmm. for two years. Um, I had a great time and then actually no I did two years at Studio Centre and then one year at Millennium Dance Performing Arts which was amazing it was their first year as a, co- a new college um, and then actually it was a bit of a huh? the dance was a big part of it for you uh, yeah I know I don't people don't know that but I did I was I was a good dancer I, I I don't really dance anymore but I it's one of those funny things when I was like I was pretty good I just my thing was I was always a really that sounds huge. I was always like a really exceptional singer. Like I had whatever it is, I got a good tone and all that. Mm. And I could always belt and all these things. Mm. Uh, and I was a really solid, good dancer. I was, I don't think I was ever exceptional, but I worked my backside off at dance college. I went from the lowest group and all of the uh, uh, ballet, jazz and tap. I was in the lowest group. And then within, I think, half a year, I was in the top group. And I started to get distinctions from my dancing and distinctions from my choreography. And um, I... It's one of those things I look back and I went, I really did 
because I, I remember getting to dance college and my local school was was very basic sounds awful but it was and so I got to professional dance college and I was terrified I was so behind on on my, my dance um technique and I remember just really freaking out because they taught everything so much quicker than my my local teacher did and I I remember being a bit cross because I think she does she did her students a disservice by not prepping them quicker because uh, pre prepping them better for what dance college would throw at you so I basically just had to get my shit together and I was only I was like I'm, the, I'm a summer baby so I was really young when I went to dance college I was I just turned 16 like a month before so I was like oh my god and um I just worked my ass off and then I got to the point so you all understand what this means when I got really good where I could do 16 forte turns on the right finish an attitude on layer finish perfectly do 16 forte turns on the left finish an attitude on layer perfectly like that's that's I got really good yeah I Fall on my face now, Kevin, if I tried to do that. But <laughs> it was a point in my life where I had that skill, you know. <laughs> um, and, so, so you, and so you're going through, like, proper training uh, for yeah. all of this. And then um, how did it play out from there in, in terms of, like, did you just start auditioning for things? Like, what was there a breakthrough moment that you would... <laughs> Yeah, I had a bit of, and I, I like telling this because I think people, young kids that are probably graduating or going to college now, are probably freaking out about how they're going to do the next, negotiate the next sort of few years um, in this industry. And um, I actually didn't work for about three to four years on graduating. I think it was about, yeah, it was about three or four years before I got my first, first proper, proper fully paid job in, in the industry. I was a real slow burner. And I think it's important that um, young kids know that if you don't make it straight away don't worry mm. you take you might take you a little while but you might get an Olivier one day <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah you so, um, I did, I did some yeah exactly so I did some fringe musicals um, I did Snoopy the musical was my first show um, <laughs> I played Peppermint Patty and <laughs> then I did a show called Brenda Bly Teen Detective I played Brenda Bly um, at the Bridewell Theatre. And then what happens is, and I think you know this, every job leads to the other job. So someone who was a producer in Footloose yeah. saw me play Brenda Bly, and then they cast me in uh, to play Rusty in the Footloose UK tour uh, in 2004, 2004. So, um, and I got to sing Let's Hear It For The Boy every night. Who, who doesn't want to sing? I might be getting my dates wrong and stuff, but that wasn't like with Derek Hoff, was it? I did it just before Derek. Just before Derek, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. But I did see him play it. Because um, I think, I can't remember what it was. I think, yeah, it's really boring. It was something like Footloose, the Footloose version that I was doing. Because he was in the same, it was the same production. Yeah. Uh, but we were going to try and get into town the year before. But Bat Boy, I don't know if you remember Bat Boy, the musical. That was in a, in a theatre and then the producers managed to make it run a few more months. So that meant Footloose couldn't go in that year and then I couldn't do it the next year. And then they rejigged it and did it because it, it was in town that I saw Derek and he was sensational. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up with Derek just because- uh, Did you? Yeah, we were both coached in, in sort of ballroom and Latin competition world, coached by Shirley Ballas. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, wow. I grew up with him and yeah, now he's- Was it nice to work with Shirley again? When she joined Strictly then? Yeah, yeah, because she, like, she used to teach me when I was a kid. 
Um, yeah, so then she's sort of been living in America a while. Then she'd come back and, and yeah, it was, it, it was lovely to see her. Like, I hadn't seen her in a while, actually. Um, but yeah, and now she's like head judge on, on street. Yeah. Yeah. Love shit. I miss Len. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But he's, yeah, he's, he's done now. Why didn't they get Len back this year for the fourth judge? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it was because just to do with the, the bubbles and stuff and they didn't want to bring anyone else in to the bubble. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Um, and then what, what would... Um, actually, before we go there, in terms of like when, when you were coming out of college and you were going into these shows and obviously you were auditioning for these... Um, for these shows did what what was your attitude and what and has it changed it must have changed but has it changed um your attitude towards the sort of whole audition process was it ever like terrifying for you in the way that it is for a lot of people or did you always just have a sense of you're one of these people it was just it is what it is you go in you do your thing you're either right or you're not like and you brush wow. it off. I don't know anyone like that <laughs> no. I um, I think people try and tell themselves they're like that yeah because coping mechanism but um uh I was rubbish at auditions when I set out I had no because you don't really get I think they're better now but I don't think they really um taught you how to do auditions or the, the mental process of doing auditions or anything and I, I think they're better at drilling that now in schools and um, I had I was rubbish at auditions absolutely clueless um that's so comforting to hear them for a lot of people that, that you and were... this is why I try I try and be really honest in these interviews yeah. and I hope it gives people, you know, if they mess up on audition, I messed up so many auditions when I came out, when I, when I first started auditioning, I was, I got so, I remember I used to get so scared and so introverted that I stopped breathing. And then I think like this, and I wouldn't know what to do with my arms. And, and I'd stand, I honestly, I, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I was, I was, I just didn't know how to be myself singing a role I just was so honestly Kevin I don't know how I made it through my early <laughs> 20s alive I was so naive I'm I probably still am for my age but I was so naive um and I somehow got myself together I think I I read some books that sort of snapped me out of of um my lack of confidence and um somehow got myself into a it's, it's all about tricking yourself into being in a safe space in auditions <clears throat> and it, the mental games we play with ourselves as performers I think people would be stunned at the the mental gymnastics we're sometimes doing yeah I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming I'm assuming that you're one of those people that has to do that you might be one of those people that feels like oh whatever oh no 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 um, I'm I, I relate to everything you've just been saying I go there <laughs> and I've by the time I go into the room in in an audition, I've already I've already come up with a hundred reasons why they're definitely not going to give me the job. Like, oh, no. yeah, okay, don't do that. Psych myself out of it, and then yeah, the arms thing you said is is a really is a why does that happen with your arms suddenly? Like we all go about you know, you start breathing, <laughs> move our bodies and stuff, and then all of a sudden you don't. And yeah. you just feel like you can't move your your cheeks. It's 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 basically, and then because so. As you get older, and, and I think a lot of performers do it, you start looking into how the mind works and how the you know the sort of mind affects the body. And my my new favorite, there's a friend of mine. She's a great singer teacher called Rachel Lyons. She runs um, a sing space, and we talk a lot about the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve uh, means it's the nerve that goes everywhere in your body. And I, I do have a point to this. Yeah. When you 
are in a state of fear, so fight or flight. <clears throat> we all know that the body shuts down or you run, right? Hmm. So it's the vagus nerve. So the second the vagus nerve, which literally it goes into your face, it goes all down here, it goes into your stomach. When the vagus nerve detects something in the environment that's threatening or makes you feel scared, it starts to sort of shut down parts of your body. It can, and it actually affects, this is when you get really like, it's so interesting. It affects the tone of your voice. So not only does it affect your ability to breathe, it can affect the quality of the tone of your voice. So this is the very short version of how it works. The, the way to handle that is to feel that you're safe and it could be with a person or an animal or um, anywhere that you feel safe and it immediately opens up the vagus nerve, which again, frees up the voice. Now, the tricky thing is, what, what are we doing normally when we sing? We're standing in front of people. And, for mo and it's the number one public fear is talking in front of other people, let alone singing. Yeah. So we're basically having to fight all our natural instincts, which is fear, which is shutting down the vagus nerve, to feel safe, to open up this, this structure in our, in our body to communicate to people that are, you know, subconsciously scaring the crap out of us. And it's, it takes, from, I think some people natively do it, but it takes years of learning your craft to be able to communicate and get past all those fear mechanisms to feel safe in a terrifying situation. And you do, like, you know, you do, you've been standing in front of millions of people each Saturday, you know, you somehow get to a place where you feel completely safe. Somehow. Yeah. I don't know how. Apparently, this is, sorry, bing, yeah, yeah. apparently, do you know how they train Spitfire pilots to stop being terrified of being in a nosedive? Go on. They throw them into nosedive after nosedive after nosedive until they basically de get destimulated. And I think that's essentially what you do after years performing. You just get over yourself. That's it. You just keep doing it. Until it, until you're just like, oh, fine, I'm in a nosedive and I'm not going to die. Yeah. So you realise you're not going to die. I think you, and it's quite fun. But it's, because I think, I'm, I'm, again, I'm assuming this, you're a bit of an extrovert introvert. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been having these conversations in the last few days about extroverts yeah. and introverts because I, I do, I consider myself an introvert, very much an introvert, um, and I'm sort of in, in when there's a couple of people around who I know and I trust, or even us just like we don't know each other that well. But even just having this conversation here one on one, I'm quite happy to sort of talking about yeah. stuff. But if it suddenly became a party, I'd probably go into my shell a little bit. Yeah. So I'm very, and I'm very much an introvert, but on stage, that's sort of the safe space. On, Funny, on, you can sort of be whatever you want to be, whatever you need to be, whatever. Because you're not being yourself as well. There's a kind yeah. of slightly, and also, I, I don't know if it's different on TV, but when you can't, like I'm much better when I can't see the audience. I'm much better with a huge, the bigger the crowd, the better. Yeah, 100%. Weird, right? The bigger the crowd, the better. It's much more when I can't see them. And I, then it's like you go into this kind of magical place, isn't it? Where you're just yeah. before, like, I don't know what it is. There's something about that black, blackness full of people. It, it feels very safe. Yeah. Which makes no sense, having just said what I've just said. Mm. Yeah, but I, then, I, then, I, then you're in a room with three, four people going, okay, let's hear this song. And it's terrifying. 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 Yeah. My theory is, my theory on it is, when, it, when you can count the individuals and see the individuals, it becomes many 
individuals when there's so many that you can't actually compute how many there are it becomes one thing yeah but then you're confronting one thing as opposed to 10 things maybe or five things and that's the only conclusion i have mm. and it becomes easier to confront Weird. Mm. do you consider what do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert then um i i because well, there's, there's um there's the introvert extrovert which is the sort of yeah, so it's, and I have Jordan Luke Gage, who plays Romeo. I'm talking about him as well. I'm sure he won't mind. He, um, he's the same as me. We, we consider ourselves um, introverted extroverts. Okay. I, because I'm not completely introverted. I can be very extroverted, <clears throat> but I can also introvert a lot. So you're not, because you, there's people that are, sort of have qualities of both and, and both, both Jordan Luke Gage and I were just like, because I, when, I, when I first met him, I was just like, you're the same as me and then we had a chat and I was like oh that makes sense yeah 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 okay yeah. I'm gonna have to think about that the whole extroverted introvert thing maybe <laughs> yeah maybe I well be. I think you've got qualities because you, you're very you know easy to engage with <clears throat> but for example say when we were talking at the um Christmas uh gig that we did yeah with Amy Hart right with Amy Hart Amy yeah. Hart comes along and she was totally an extrovert like she totally. comes in and she's just this ball of energy and yeah. talking about talk, 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 talk uh, about everything. And then I did this and then I was talking to that person and because I love yeah. musicals and one day I want to do that musical and like that. As soon as yeah. there's someone like that in like in any group, I, I sort of not panic that's the wrong word because she was lovely and it was all fine and, and lovely but like yeah. I, 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 saw, I almost don't know what to say do you know what I mean I'm just oh, quite, quite happy for that this is so interesting because I remember watching you and you looked so comfortable you were just listening like I remember going yeah. oh he's just really listening yeah uh, uh, I was but then I suppose as soon as there's a person like that in a, in a group I very quickly just let them be that person in the group do you know what I mean that I'd, I'm not. I'm like, the same. Yeah, if someone's I'm louder like, than me, I'm like, you be loudest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, knock yourself out. I, I have no competitiveness to, to be the loudest, but I can be the loudest. Yeah. So that's a funny thing. But I'll, I'll always let the other person who's louder than me, I'm like, yeah, go. Go, yeah. go be the entertainer. Hmm. It's but, funny, isn't it? But then, like you said, on, on stage, it's a very different place. And then. Well, I think on stage, it's rehearsed. We know what we're doing, we know what we're going to say, we know where to stand. And I suppose after years of technique, you know, you you know that you can deliver something, and you and also after years of an audience's reaction, the flip side of it is you also feel like I want I want these people to have an experience where they feel like they're having fun, yeah, or feeling happy, or I change their mood. And when you sort of just quietly know that you're going to do that, then you feel more confident because you're just like, okay, I know that I'm going to go on stage and they're going to have a great time. They're really going to enjoy this number. So you feel like you're delivering a service as well. Hmm. But then now, say, when it comes to um, new shows now, say if someone's going to sort of um, talk to you about, about playing a role in, in the show, I, I don't know, yeah. I'm assuming that it, maybe it's more, it's more of a, a just, we'd like to request Cassidy rather than would Cassidy like to come and audition? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit more... Will Cassidy do it? <laughs> um, oh, that, I I love that you think that of me. That's really that how it works. <laughs> I have had it happen. I have had that happen a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I still audition. I still mm. audition. But I, yeah, I have had a few really obscenely good job offers actually um, out of the blue. And that's that's a really nice feeling. Having, I, I, I call myself a sort of late bloomer in this industry. Having had a long time of doing well, but sort of like being a real jobbing actress to suddenly in the last five years have this sort of, will you play blah, blah, blah for blah, blah money? It's yours if you want it. Like, I remember when I had that phone call, I was like, when did I become that person? I was like, yeah, that was exciting. That was very exciting. Um, And I, I'm really like going back to the beginning of my career and it being Mm. a very slow burner. Yeah. I am so pleased now. It took me so long because when I get those phone calls, I never have this feeling of entitlement. I just feel like, oh my God. I've waited so long for this. This is so nice. Mm. And I still feel like this little seven-year-old girl going, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I still behave like that, especially like, and I still get, I still get really giddy when someone that I've admired since I was a little girl comes to see a show I'm in. And I hope I, I hope I never get used to these things. Like Eugene Levi, I don't know how old you are. I won't ask because I think it's rude, but he was in a film called Splash and now he's in Schitt's Creek. And yeah, it's American he came to see Anne Juliet and they were, we'd had all sorts of celebrities in but when I heard that he was in I had um I, I lost my shit <laughs> I was this man is a genius of light comedy acting it's so hard to do what he does and I was like oh my god and I love I you know I'm, I'm, I love doing comedy and I was just so in awe and I was like oh my god I'm actually entertaining this genius that's entertained me for years and he, the, the the writer of um, Anne Juliet came to my dressing room. He's like, "Hey, Eugene's um, on the stage. If you want to come and meet him." And I was like, oh, "I have a gig to. I had a late late night gig to do." And I was like, "I'll be late for the gig. I have to meet this man." And I was like, yeah. down to the I was like "Oh my god!" I was like, "Oh my god!" And I, I remember getting getting on the stage, getting on my hands and knees, and bowing to him. And he was so humble, and he was so generous, and he was so like effusive about my performance. And I was like, "Oh my god, you're you're just such a legend!" And 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 I I hope I never lose that. Like, oh my god, it's someone famous. Yeah, that's so wicked. It's so wicked that you still have that that attitude to it. Yeah, I I I, I just hope I never get used to it like that would be a shame because mm. I think what we do is really exciting I do love it yeah for sure and then obviously your your career I mean you know just read just reading through your sort of um catalog of, of roles that you've played and, and things that you things that you've done um you've done so much but like say like when you've got a big part like um the Carol King um part in Beautiful um or now playing Anne Hathaway, you know, it's it's, an, it's a new show um, with you doing it. Do you have, do you have a particular sort of process of, of finding your way into the character? I know everyone's different, but like, how do you go about, do you, do you read, say if it's someone like Carol King, do you read loads about her and find out as much as you can about her? Like for, for Anne Juliet, did you do a lot of research into Shakespeare or, or anything like that? Or and through to like, how, how do you learn your lines you know what's your sort of process from, from okay um I I'm trying to think I think every show I sort of approach differently um Anne Hathaway in particular because she's so funny um 
I I approached a bit differently because a lot of what makes her role is the delivery of certain lines and it's a really specific sort of dry humor mm. <clears throat> which is basically my humor so I for, for me for me I do feel like I've won an Olivier for playing myself on a good day because <laughs> <laughs> I had loads of friends come and see the show and they were like do they know that you're playing you when you're having a funny five minutes and I was like stop don't, don't tell anyone I think I'm gonna win an Olivier award <laughs> 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 And um, so, so for Anne, I, I, so your question is like, how do I approach it? So I don't really have any specific way. I, I sort of generally read the whole show uh, in a one to sort of work out what the tone of each show is. And, and then I work out how that my character fits in. And then, um, I don't know, I, I'm probably a bit simple like that. I just learn my lines and, um, that in and of itself, I think, naturally brings out the character. And then I always want to work with the director. I never want to make decisions by myself and then get myself stuck with an assumption on the character when it's the director's got a completely different vision. So I like to work with the director quite a lot mm. um, and use my gut instincts a lot. And, and for me, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a bit of a slow, slow masticator. I chew on shows quite a lot and it's not really until I get the costume and the wig and everything that I and I need more I like to see I, I'm not very good at lifting plays off the page I need more mass I need to see things and the second things come alive and there's a there's a person opposite me and they're delivering the lines that way that's I sort of go oh yeah oh okay okay and then I'm like Zoom. and then suddenly there'll always be a moment in a show where I go Vroom. okay now I know what this is but it's normally when things are up and running, which I think terrifies a lot of directors when they're directing me. And I'm, I'm obviously putting words in their mouth, but I know that there's been one or two that have been like, yeah, we were really worried about you, but then we put you in front of an audience and it was amazing. And I was like, yeah, I generally do really well once I have an audience. I'm not very good in the rehearsal room. It's not my house. <laughs> I, I find rehearsal rooms terrifying. Mm. I've, and I've never worked out how to not be absolutely terrified in rehearsal rooms. I find them like, it's like a labor of love. Like I know that I'm not good in a rehearsal room, but I know that I'll eventually get to the performance place, but I ha it's painful. I get very self-conscious. It's so interesting to hear, but again, it's comforting to hear that someone yeah. who's achieved what you've achieved and um, uh, you know, as brilliant as you are, still has those kind of feelings. Cause I'm sort of obsessed with the, with listening to people's stories and about their process and how they go about it and you know interviews with actors like I love it I love like soaking it all up how do you go about it and it you sort of almost have this sense that like you know the greatest of actors have this process where they sort of read the script and then they write things all you know through the script and then they lock themselves in a hotel room for two months and then they they live out that role in the street and and do that and go through this whole like massive process to, to where they find this character and you're like oh my god you're a genius but actually like some people just find it in a completely different way and and, and, and you it. know what I've realized <clears throat> every way is valid yeah for sure and I've really realized that like everyone it doesn't matter how you get the end product like even vocal techniques, you know, there's, I would say that there's a different technique for singing on a, up close on a mic and a different technique for singing on a stage and they're both valid. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to not think one was better than the other or one was more right and the other was more wrong. And, and I think 
your process is your process it's as individual as your personality and and everything you know and as I said the word is valid it's sort of like it's okay to get there the way you get there Mm. um as long as you're doing it with a sense of integrity and and knowing that you're doing your best yeah uh, I think it's fine yeah so I listened I listened to like an interview with Sean Penn and he went very deep into a lot of stuff I mean he's another level though like he's full like method and and also he's doing a different like my last role obviously was I'm I'm basically dressing up as a as a 40 20 year old girl as a 40 year old woman and um and dancing around the stage in costume like it's so silly like what are you going to do like sit there and be method about it whereas someone like Sean Penn you know in what was it Mystic River when he's like yeah. a horrendous plot line and he's been you know he's just crying his face you've got to go to like he's he's being asked to go to sort of the depths of the human depravity of what people can do to each other I'm asked to sort of sing a Celine Dion song and twirl around in the frock <laughs> quite the same <laughs> you know oh, don't play it I would expect him to have a different process <laughs> but then but then by the same token I also listened to Judy Dench talking I was gonna say Judy Dench she's hilarious and she was like, she was like, you know, they went, so how, you know, how do you go about your process of rebuilding your character? And she went, I learn my lines, I go on and I say my lines and I let it play out. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think about it any deeper than that. I think she said something like when she gets a wig and costume, it helps or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like hearing someone like Judy Dent say that, you're like, okay, fine. Cause that's kind of what I do. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, and then, have you ever seen, there's an interview with Helena Bonham Carter and Olivia Coleman on the Graham Norton show? We've seen this one. It's probably maybe a year old or something. Right. And Helena's hilarious. She's just sort of leaning and she's just like, oh God, this, this Olivia, she, she doesn't even do her research. And, um, and Olivia completely owns it. And she just sort of goes, I mean, because he- apparently Helena's got, got like a, a, a kind of, a character book where she creates the character and there's like textiles and pictures and she goes into full research of her character and Olivia just apparently turns up and says a line. She's like, I mean, I've won an Oscar. It must be okay. Like, <laughs> just, just, she really doesn't give a shit. She's just like, I don't do any research. And I'm just like, great. Cause I really yeah. don't either. I do obviously perfunctory research, like have a Google of Anne Hathaway and there's absolutely nothing about her. They don't know what her marriage was like. There's an assumption that, you know, most people sort of know that in, in his will, he Anne Hathaway was given Shakespeare's second best bed, right? And you can interpret that so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, he must have really hated her not to give her the first best bed. But apparently the first best bed was for guests and the second best bed would have been their marital bed. So it actually was a very nice gift. Right, then. Yeah. They, they think she might have been pregnant so they weren't even in love but then there's a fact that maybe they were really in love so no one really knows anything about their relationship so it was sort of a carte, carte blanche to sort of create whatever we wanted in their relationship yeah it's yours, it's yours to build yeah yeah, that's, yeah that's I, hope, I hope she doesn't mind what I've done with her she's probably <laughs> horrified she's probably <laughs> definitely not oh god I know oh god um actually on the fact that you won the Olivier does does that now fit for you um is that just I mean it's an amazing thing 
but like is it all just oh, it's a completely lovely thing and it puts you into a sort of different space now you're Olivier Award winner you know Cassidy Jensen and it's all wicked or does it is there an element of it where it also brings a bit of pressure like did you put any extra pressure on yourself because oh god people are you know no I'm an Olivier Award winner I've got to deliver something you know or is that just how I would do it? Because I'm an overthinker. <laughs> I don't, well, I think it's really hard because it almost feels like I haven't won because there was no party. There was none of the bumping into your mate that you did the Fringe musical it with in 2012 and you're both crying going, do you remember when we played that show for two people? We got really drunk. And, you know, because... <clears throat> everyone contributes you know if someone wins an Olivier it's it's the community that got them that, that that's why I think anyway I feel like I got to hold the trophy but everyone I've worked with has contributed to that Olivier and right. I haven't had the chance to go look you know bump, bump into them at, on the party and go oh god you know can't believe we got it you know got here and so it doesn't really feel like I I have it although it's right here hang on here it is there it is. There it is. I know no one can see it, but it's there. And he's really heavy. And so I've got him, but I haven't been able to share him with anybody. And then it, it's, it's, and I think because there's not much going on in the industry, it's really hard to tell if anything's changed because, you know, there's, I've had a few self tapes and things and they've gone really well. Um, but there's sort of, there's no momentum. There's no shows opening. There's no... It's really hard. Mm. Although I did get the the voice of the MS Christmas advert. So if anyone's listening, that is me. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, um, the MS online sale now on terms and conditions apply. That was you. That's me. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um aside, aside Olivier winning aside. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite like moment from your career or role that you've played or show that you've been on? Like what is it? I mean, you've been uh, I, I've been really oh God, I've been so lucky. I've done so many nice things. Um, I I'm gonna just scan through them as they come to my head. I think the very first night I went on for Alphaba was probably one of the most I had the best time going on for that role. I loved playing her. Um, I think uh, I really enjoyed, obviously, playing Carol King. Will be very hard to beat. I loved everything about that role. The vocal range for me was perfect uh, for where my voice sits. Playing her, she's such a warm human being. She gifted me a song for my album, which was amazing. I got to sing with her live at Hyde Park. Again, it was amazing to do that. Um, she said some amazing things to me about my performance, which I never, ever thought. Um, I hope she'd say, good job, kid. But she actually said really effusive things, which blew well, my mind. That's it. I'm going to say what she said for everyone listening. <laughs> I, when I was like making a few notes and I went on your website to have a look at things. And I, and I saw that Carol King, after watching your performance, said she literally brought me to tears this evening with her performance of Natural Woman. She was who I was. She felt what I felt. She was me. Yeah. Like, for, for, for you to be playing her and her to be saying she felt what I felt, surely there's, there's no bigger compliment to an actor. Yeah, I, I get a bit teary because, you know, as a performer, you're always striving to please, to please people mm. <clears throat> and to, to get it right. 
yeah particularly as a dancer you want to get it right and um when you have the person you're playing say that you got it right it's it's quite and that that they were moved by your performance of them it's you know I I worked really hard because there were a few things she'd I'd watched because I'd already um rehearsed with her for the Hyde Park concert it was the year before actually that I'd, I'd worked with her and I remember watching her mannerisms and putting a few of them in. I never told anyone what they were. I just went, I'm going to put those in because Carol, I saw Carol do that. And she gave me a few little things about how she felt about things. And she did sort of tell me something about the Natural Woman song, which I've never told anyone, I never will. But she sort of said, blah, blah, blah. And that's blah, blah, blah. And so I very quietly always kept that in the show. And then um, I had no idea she was watching the night she was watching. And um, uh, yeah, I just... Um, it sort of it sort of means everything mm-hmm. that kind of acknowledgement it, it means everything and it's really hard to quantify it in words really it's just like a oh, god that's really what I want to do as an artist is is get it to that that place anyway so that was amazing and then um um and then I got to play opposite Michael Ball in chess which was hilarious I had the most fun the show's not hilarious the show's very sad <laughs> Working with Michael Ball was hysterical. We basically, you know, when someone hits your funny bone, the problem yeah. was he hit my funny bone and I hit his funny bone. So we were a nightmare in rehearsals. I'm surprised the director didn't pull his hair out. We were just, I've, I'm pretty good at not laughing, but Michael and I would just laugh through every scene. It was horrendous. I don't, I don't know how we got away with it. Um, that was fun. Um, and then I did, obviously, oh, sorry, I did Leading Ladies with the lovely Beverly Knight. Riley oh I love love my Bev and that was amazing because I really got to get put on um an incredible platform that I really I really had no business being on at that point in my career it was like oh hey here are two megastars and a megastar here and by the way we're going to put you on the Graham Norton Sofa we're going to put you on the Royal Raj performance we're going to put you on Strictly and I'm like hi no one knows who I am but it's fine I'm the random ginger girl between two megastars but but I'm just having a great how did that come about anyway like whose idea was it like how how did it form so it was um it was one of those it was probably the first time I ever had the phone call which was the um hey would you like to be in a girl group with Amber Riley and Beverly Knight (laughs) Uh, oh think about it I got the phone call it was the phone call from heaven I call it (laughs) okay um and uh it was Bev's idea so she apparently seen me in play Carol King and she's seen Amber play um ah Mercedes? No. Um Oh um Essie, Essie? Yeah, Essie. In, <clears throat> in Dream Girls. And um and then her apparently previous to that, her record company said, What do you think about doing a, a musicals album? And she'd been a bit like, mm, don't know if I want to do a musicals album. But then when she saw um the two of us, she went, Oh, what about the three of us get together and do a really classy musicals album and the a record company really liked the idea so that's how that happened yeah, that's so amazing it's, um, it was <laughs> i also saw you in um in beautiful like a, f- a few years ago yeah and, and I, I thought it was terrific and you, yeah you were sensational in it like, I, I sort of went not not knowing what to expect really from from the musical and i wasn't um sort of overly aware of all of carol king's music in, in terms of, oh, you know, I didn't know that Carol King wrote that song. And wrote, of course, I've heard I was the same. I saw my mate Katie Braben play it before me. And, and I, I sort of knew that Carol King wrote Nat Foreman. That was about it. And then you watch the show and you're like, 
good God, this woman, even without her solo career, she was a phenomenon. Mm. All that stuff she wrote, you're like, bloody hell. Yeah. And then have her weird sort of life story of her husband cheating on her and all that. Yeah. And that was a simple version of her life. Like it was much more complicated than that. Right. Yeah, because I sort of went in going, oh, I'm going to go and see this tonight. I'm not really fully aware of Carol King and, and, and all of her music. And then came out like, that was bloody amazing. Like the whole thing, it was amazing. And all the music was in, it's like, oh, I know this one. I know this one. I like this one. I like, yeah. And, and yeah, your performance in it. Do you play piano in it? Or is it? The, I, I play piano in, in real life, but the show is mimed. Right, right. But you do play in real life, so it was sort of very unique. I'm no Carol King. I always like to put my hand up. I was like, I'm no Carol King, yeah. but I can play tunes. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you knew where to sort of put your hands and Lily. <laughs> it wasn't just completely pretending. Yeah. Like me and Wedding Singer. Uh, I had to play guitar in Wedding Singer. I don't play guitar. Oh God, so was it mind or did you have to actually learn it? No, it was mind. And, and, but I, I sort of, I got a guy who plays guitar to show me like where, where the hand would go at that point. And I learned it as best as I, best I could. And then. I think that's the best way. I was like, have a good stab at miming it really well. And then I always had the thing, I was like, I really wanted people to invest. I wanted them to invest enough in my playing that they weren't, you know that thing when you're like, oh, are they miming, aren't they? Are they miming, aren't they? And it's really distracting and they're not paying attention then to the story. And I was like, it has to be so good that they're like, oh, she's fine, she's playing. Yeah. And then they'll actually enjoy the story more. Whereas if the second you know someone's miming, you're like me, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> it had to be really, and it was really good. They had a really good system on Beautiful where they had a camera that would follow the piano around the stage. Mm -hmm. So, and whenever you, whenever the carol, because obviously it was understudies as well, you'd sort of have to lift your hands in a certain way so that they could see that you're about to play the piano. So that it was, everything was timed and there were cues with specific ways you had to play the piano at certain points oh, so that it tied up. It was very clever. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So looking ahead to the future, um, do you have any like specific sort of goals or ideals that you like, is there a particular character that you would love to play or, you know, is there anything like, oh, I'd love to do um, a big movie or, you know, like what, oh. what, what are your uh, sort of ambitions going forward? Um, well, really quickly, obviously, um, and Juliet's going to reopen at some point this year. So obviously, I can't wait to get back to doing that. I've also got a tour of my own of Laurel Canyon. Uh, it's called It All Happened in Laurel Canyon, which is um, I'm going to sing a lot of songs from the era of the Laurel Canyon time in California, which was in the 60s and 70s, where they had this melting pot of amazing music. And I'm going to do a little tour of that with my band, which I can't wait. Mm. Um, all things going well. Um, and I also would, so sort of like hopping on for what you actually asked, was I would love to do a sitcom. I'd love to do a British sitcom, like a really like quirky if you've ever watched Toast of London, have you ever seen Toast of London? I, I yeah, I have seen it. I haven't watched like all the episodes, but like, I have seen Super it. quirky. Yeah. The first episode is really out there, but it really finds its feet as the seasons go on. Mm. And it's so funny. And um, I'd love to do something really quirky like that. Um, yeah, or a British, you know, like a Downton Abbey type thing. Probably something with at least a little bit of humour in would probably suit me. Mm. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do some telly. Come on, fingers crossed, some telly yeah. for Cassidy. Yeah, let's do it. Anyone who's listened to this, get her on TV doing a, a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And look, I, I don't, I don't want to take up your entire night. I, I could talk to you all night about all this. I, 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 this is really, not, it's actually really pleasant. I think probably <laughs> when you're in a lockdown, you don't talk to many people. These yeah. interviews are really yeah. nice, aren't they? A person having a conversation. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, you sort of, we've already touched on it on the sort of patience for people going into theatre. You know, like there will be a lot of like younger performers right now panicking about what's happening in the theatre industry and, and how they can get their opportunities and auditions we've obviously spoken about. But if, if you would ever have any sort of advice that you would give either young performers of today or if you were thinking back to like a younger Cassidy Jansen um, or even for um, a 38-year-old northern <laughs> dancer doing musical theatre now. <laughs> well, like, what would be like your best piece of advice? Um, don't, don't ever forget that this is supposed to be fun. Like, don't ever forget that when you're a little kid, you you picked up that umbrella to use as a as a dancing cane in a in a in a garden routine that you may have made up with your best friend Vicky Copeland. Um, <laughs> don't ever forget that um, you did it because you just really enjoyed doing it, and all the other stuff becomes noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes really hard to forget that it's just like this is supposed to be fun, you know. That's awesome. I like that advice. Well, Cassidy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, starting off uh, 2021 with a, with a, a wicked podcast, actually. Yeah, thank you. It's been really nice. This has been really nice. I feel yeah. like I'm chatting to an old mate and I really don't know you very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's stay in touch. And um, yeah, I can't wait to whenever, and Juliet is back out there, I want to come and see it and then come and see your tour and then um, also see you on TV in the future as you Yay. no doubt win countless more BAFTAs and Oscars to add to your Olivier. Very happy with one Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Cassidy. Thanks Kevin.